This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Gentlemen and ladies, start your engines. Sebastian Vettel takes the checkered flag and wins the Singapore Grand Prix. The Singapore Grand Prix is back after two years. And on this episode of ST Sports Talk, our guest, Formula One CEO Stefano Domenicali, joins myself, Sazali Abdul Aziz, and my colleague, Assistant Sports Editor Jonathan Wong, for a chat about all things motorsport. We chat about Singapore's place and status on the F1 calendar, why Asia remains a big part of its growth strategy, and also address rumours about preferential treatment for some teams which have swirled over the years. So Stefano, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to speak to us. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be back in Singapore and to connect uh, with all our fans. Yep. So let's uh, start with that. You know, the Singapore race uh, is back after two years. How excited are you to be back here in the Lion City? And where does Singapore fit, you know, in terms of F1's overall strategy? Well, first of all, we are really very, very happy and proud to be back in Singapore after two years that unfortunately, due to COVID, we couldn't come. Uh, we are very happy because this Grand Prix has been always very, very special. Since the first time we came here in 2008, has been an incredible place uh, where all the people love to come. Unique experience, uh, great energy, great vibes, and also, I have to say, great sporting action on the track. And therefore, the community of all of us is really very, very delighted and as you know very well there will be another sold out event that makes the difference because it means that today F1 wherever we go is an incredible moment of growth. Uh, sold out means that all the people are coming to Singapore. I would say giving back the energy that after COVID all the places need. It's an incredible platform where people can meet, can cheer, can talk about business, can enjoy the sport. And that's really the reason why everyone is so happy to be back here. Maybe you can talk a bit about, you know, obviously it's a night race. And, you know, when it first started, we had entertainment, live music acts, along with the racing. You know, now moving forward, you have Las Vegas, you have Miami, which are also lifestyle races. So how does a race like Singapore maintain its competitive edge? I would say that Singapore was the first in this context of a new Formula One to be protagonist. We were able to produce some incredible spot and image of the city in the constant of racing. Night race is elevating the interest and the beauty of the shots because we produce them and we know how to cope with the fact that there is the need to promote a country or the city in a racing context. It's true that uh, Thanks to Singapore, the level of the other promoters in terms of offer has been raised up. And this is really great. This is what we want from everyone that is interested in Formula One to make sure that uh, every time we come back to a place, there is something new that uh, the people want to have and want to enjoy. So I have to say that uh, our promoters here in Singapore uh, have been doing an incredible job since the first time we came here. 
Yeah, and, and we often hear, especially in, as, as John mentioned, in the early part of the Singapore GP, Singapore night race was often called the crown jewel of Formula One. Do you still see that as the case or, you know, has a bit of the shine been taken off the Singapore night race because we see it elsewhere and, and stuff like that? I love this because, you know, we are in a sport of a very competitive people, uh, not only on the track, but also the level who is the best to organize the best event ever. And this is really what we want to see, as I said, in a, in a constructive way. Because if everyone is keeping that pace, you know, the level of our business is just growing. And this is really fantastic. I would say, you know, the unique atmosphere you live here is specific to the city, is specific to the quality of all the equipment and all the, the place where we are. And so I'm pretty sure that also this year we're going to see something unique that will enable the others to watch it and make sure that they will offer something better. Maybe we can talk a bit about, in terms of your strategy for Formula One. I mean, if you look at 10 years ago, you know, we had a lot of races in Asia, and maybe fewer in the Middle East and in North America. Next year, you have 24 races, four in Middle East, five in North America, and maybe only three in Asia, China, Japan, and Singapore. Is there a shift from F1 away from Asia and towards the Middle East, towards North America? And if so, why? No, I think that the, the, the picture of 10 years ago from one was totally different. Totally different in terms of magnitude of the business and totally different uh, on the request that we uh, were having uh, to hosting Grand Prix. Today, you know, I would say thanks to the growth that we are living, there are a lot of countries that want to host Formula One. We need to keep the international calendar in a way that uh, we are a world championship. Therefore, our strategic approach for the future is very clear. We would like to be balanced in the offer and in the places where we are going. There is still one continent missing that is Africa, that uh, we are really working hard to, to find the right partners who wants to invest uh, there because we feel that uh, it would be important for many, many reasons. Asia will, and it is in any case, a very important part of our strategic growth. There are other countries to whom I cannot really say today who they are, but are interested to host Grand Prix in this uh, part of the world. It is clear, it is true that uh, 10 years ago, U.S. was in a different spot. We were thinking, well, do, do we need to keep investing there? Because the numbers were very poor. But now, actually, after in the last two years, we are booming up in terms of interest, in terms of awareness, in, in terms of new, new fans uh, embracing the love of Formula 1. Middle Eastern is another region that is important for the growth of our sport and the level of investment they are putting in the, in the, into that. But also Europe, you know, uh, we started there. So it's important to, to find the right numbers of races that will be balanced uh, the, the calendar in a way that uh, if you're talking about uh, next year, it's going to be 24, the highest number of races never had in Formula 1. And there is the, ch the possibility in the future to be really very well balanced uh, with regard to different continents. That's our aim. That's our goal. And as you know, when we need to take this decision today, uh, considering the market, we will put into the equation all the points that are interesting and relevant for all our stakeholders. And uh, I would say from one side, it's a great problem to have. Just very quickly, I, I know you mentioned there are some uh, countries in Asia interested to have a race. You say you can't really share which countries, but what happened to the Hanoi race, and will we still see F1 in Vietnam in the future? Well, as you know, they were ready to host the race last year, and then uh, for political reason, uh, there was not anymore the possibility to race. 
will be contacted back again. And they are really showing the interest to host the race in the next couple of years. So we're going to have some talks in the future to see what is the, the real level of uh, possibility. Considering that the investment was done, considering that the track and the, and the new paddock and the new garage uh, are still there. So I think that in the future, we're going to see back again a real request from them to host Formula One. So you talked a bit about, you know, next year, 24 races, record number of races. Are you at the limit? Can you envision a season where you have more than 24 races? And as, at the same time, do you see more than 10 teams as well? Because, you know, the grid can hold maximum 26. Well, I think that the 24, we already said, is the highest number of races that for one never had in its history. I think that in terms of balance, is the right number. The season is quite intense, quite complex uh, to build up the calendar. So I believe that would be the number around which we need to think, uh, you know, the strategy in terms of numbers, as I said, of our calendar in the future. With regard to the teams, I think that one of the beauty that we have seen today is uh, everyone is talking about sustainability. Sustainability for me, first of all, is a financial sustainability uh, in order to allow the system to be healthy enough to be to make sure that we can provide the business. And therefore, 10 teams today is an asset in terms of value of, of each of them being able to participate in the championship and also to the fact that uh, from the sporting perspective, I think that the new regulation shows that uh, if we have just a couple of uh, cars that can fight each other, the interest is really very, very high. So, as always said, I mean, uh, we are not uh, stopping anyone that who wants to invest in Formula 1 to present his candidate, uh, its possibility to race. But I don't think that is an issue today, having 10 teams. It's not a limiting factor of having a better show. A better show. It's not a limiting factor to have, uh, you know, the interest that is growing. So, if in the future we're going to have more teams to come, we need to share that with the actual system because I think that... Uh, Today, the actual structure in that respect is very solid. You mentioned 24 races is the sweet spot, you know, in terms of balance, in terms of intensity for a season. But if you look at it that way, and if you want to have a bigger mix, say Africa, for example, of maybe a few more races in Asia, you would have to take some races away. So where would you subtract from? Would it be Europe? Would you take maybe one or two races from Europe to move it to this part of the world, to Africa? Well, actually, it is true that uh, we have to take 24 today. So if there are new races, there are two possibilities. Either you take some out or you rotate uh, some of them. Therefore, these are, let's say, the two options that actually will be combined in our future. In terms of audience figures, Formula One is coming off very strong numbers. Uh, I think, as you mentioned, you know, everyone's excited after the pandemic. You know, it's almost like there's a hunger. I think there's uh, 1.55 billion cumulative TV viewers. Is there a, a target you guys have in mind in terms of what kind of figures you want to achieve in terms of, you know, audience numbers? Well, I think that, you know, our target is very simple. To make sure that our uh, growth of awareness will be stabilized in a bigger figure in terms of uh, total people, who loves Formula One. Today, the dynamic of the contact that we are having is different from the one that we had before. Before, it was pretty easy because we had a, a sort of a just one channel of controlling it through the television, before free-to-air, then pay TV. Now we are moving, and that was one of the key of our success, to digital platform, 
to our TV, to social channel, to Netflix, to different way of producing context uh, and content in order to increase the awareness. So I do believe that today the number that you are saying is on the lower side of it because the, the, the how-to, uh, we are talking about podcast, is huge, the, the growth that we are having also in this dimension. So these are, it's a different matrix, it's a different equation, and it has to be a different algorithm to make sure that we are able to control the number of the growth of our sport. I think it's bigger because the, 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 today we are discovering a new way of being close to our fans that never been before. And the fact that we are uh, focused on making sure that we are uh, diversifying our interest in all these different channels is a sign of the health of our sport today. I'm curious, uh, you know, you talked about Singapore and the unique selling point of Singapore. Does it, you may not have the numbers, but I'm curious, does it seem that a race like Singapore, a night race with the music act and the way it's packaged, is more tailored to a younger audience? And maybe that's something that Singapore has that, you know, it's sort of a, the crown jewel in the sense that it goes after the young audience, which is what you want from a digital social media aspect as well. For sure, the quality of the show, it, it means a lot to the growth of our sport. This is the perfect contest where we had for the first time associated, you know, sport to lifestyle, to events, to music, to glamour. And, and this is the trend that we're going to have also around the world in the future. The beauty of, of living that here is bringing a lot of people uh, from abroad to live this experience in Singapore. And the quality of uh, all what you're doing here is tremendous. And therefore, everyone is expecting, you know, after this experience to have the same conditions in all the other places they are going to follow Formula One. And this is our responsibility to make sure that this kind of uh, imprinting will be everywhere we're going. Because that's uh, the, the, the reason why people from one are expecting more and more today. Because the quality of the product we are offering is getting better. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now, back to our conversation with Formula One CEO Stefano Domenicali. Stefano, you, you mentioned, you know, obviously F1's big push for sustainability in, in several areas. How do you reconcile the logistic support? You know, obviously this is something that critics have always said, oh, you, you want to push for sustainability, but you fly all over the world uh, and have uh, all your cars transported all over the world. Is there something these critics are not seeing or missing out on? Well, actually, I'm not bothered about these critics because they are totally instrumental for other purposes. We are a world championship. The only way to move in the world, either we swim and we put uh, all the cars on our back, and I would say it's quite difficult to have 24 races like that, or we need to make sure that the system on which we are working is, is sustainable and strong for the future. That's why we believe that our choices that are, uh, have been already taken with regard to the future of our power unit by being hybrid and using sustainable fuel is the right answer and credible answer to the fact that today in this world, there are more than 2 billion vehicles that with the internal combustion engine. There is a fleet of planes, there is a fleet of ships, there is a fleet of commercial vehicles that needs to move around. And therefore, we can use and, can be, and we can see 401 to be the pinnacle of the advanced technology in order to speed up the use of this sustainable fuel 
for a better world in a context when we are globalized. So that's why I'm not really bothered about these critics because it's really very, 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 I would say, I, I use in a very strong word, quite ridiculous, because uh, this is uh, something that is related to our, the nature of our business. And therefore, our duty that we have already committed to a carbon neutrality in 2030 is a proof of total commitment on uh, what we are doing in order to give a sign to the society that uh, we are uh, totally credible in this landscape. And uh, another sign of our credibility is that today, if you're not credible, sorry, uh, if I repeat that, in, in when we are talking about that, no partners will join and work together. Because that's the first point uh, that at least I can share with you, that everyone is asking me what is the plan on this. And if the others do not believe on what we're doing, they will not join. And uh, the answer is that we never had so many partners uh, with us as Formula One and with the teams and with the, and the promoters. So it means that we are credible and we are strong for a better future. Stefano, can you shed some light into what the relationship between F1 and FIA and, and the president are like? You know, because there are reports that there have been disagreements on a number of issues, including the 2023 calendar. You know, just just what what is that working relationship like? Very good. I mean, uh, it's not been a disagreement. Uh, I think that uh, they recognize the fact normally that uh, that press statement would have been put out together and they realized that. But I would say in general sense, FIA and F1 is working together for the better sport uh, with different roles. We are the commercial right holder. We, are the, we have the duty of growing the business. And the FIA has the duty of uh, governing the sporting and the technical side of it because that's uh, really where the credibility of a sport is uh, founded. Therefore, uh, I would say another element of uh, the duty of the FIA will be not only sporting and technical, but also financial. Because uh, in, in this new context where financial regulations are important, we need to have a credible structure that is controlling that also in this dimension, the teams are respected the new rules with regard to budget cap that has been an incredible and very important asset of the growth on the sustainable financial side of, from the team perspective. So I would say we have different duty, but the, we are working together in order to improve the sport for the future. Going back to the FIA, I think there was a rule about changing of car flaws that some people have felt that this would help Mercedes and maybe hamper Red Bull. Why was that change made? And, and what are your thoughts on this perception that you know there is a preferential treatment or we're trying to tip the scales in another team's favour? Well, as you know, the regulator is, is doing something with the information that they have. And uh, I have to start from the one perspective. Being uh, in a different role before, as you can imagine, I don't want to say anything because uh, normally all the teams are trying you know, to have a, a performance approach on what uh, they're doing. And it's normal. It's correct. On the other hand, FIA has the duty to respect the, the procedure, respect the regulation, and make sure that the teams are respecting them. So I would say this is really my point. And as always, it's very important that the regulator is credible in all the things that they are doing because that gives to everyone the possibility of knowing that there's a stable framework on which everyone has to perform and try to be the best. For one has been always uh, a sport where uh, stretching the limits is the big things that you have to do. And there are uh, hundreds of engineers that are doing that from a team perspective. Therefore, that's also the beauty on how the regulation is changing dramatically every year. And that's, once again, showing the quality, the quality of engineering 
that Form 1 is bringing, not only to the sport, but also to the fact that a lot of things that are happening in our sport that will bring to a different technology, to a different landscape, to a different context. And uh, this is the strongest point on which Form 1 has shown the uh, big credibility. Stefano, you just mentioned, just very quickly, you just mentioned your history, your background. You know, obviously, long rumours, and, and I, I stress these rumours, that, you know, Ferrari tends to get uh, preferential treatment. When you hear this, what, what do you think? Do you just laugh about it? Or is it something that bugs you, annoys you? Well, you know, I'm Italian and you believe that uh, you could be emotional, but honestly, I'm laughing because uh, I wouldn't be in a sport, I'm talking personally, if I have any doubt that the referee is protecting someone. Really, I mean, I do believe that in our sport, uh, and this will be always the case even in the future, you can commit mistakes, you, uh, you can do mistakes at all level in all the different places you are playing, but I will never ever allow myself to be in a system where I have uh, the proof or the doubt that someone is uh, pushing to work against you because that's a matter of principle. So go back to your question. I'm laughing. I'm smiling. I take it as a good joke. But uh, as I said, I've been there since 30 years. So, and these rumors were there since uh, actually even before I joined that world. If you go back to the season that we've had so far, I think Max is on the brink of winning his second world championship. Red Bull are extremely dominant. But as a product, you know, because you don't want to, you know, run into a sort of like the heydays of Schumacher or Hamilton, you know, where you, you go into a race and you, you know who the winner will be. So do you think that next season, what as a product you need is more teams to be more competitive and a Red Bull and a Verstappen winning 10 races in a row is not good for the product. Yes, what you're saying is true, but we need to be also realistic in understanding why they win. I think that for sure they, they won the races because they were very strong, but uh, you need to consider also why the others, in this case Ferrari, was not able to stay closer. And therefore, I think that without giving an answer to that, because you will give that, I believe that the regulation have done a big step in, in allowing cars to fight much closer ones against the others. Therefore, my hope uh, is that next year there will be a situation where, once again, we can have uh, incredible competition, not only two cars or two teams, but also more than that. It will allow the championship uh, not to finish earlier. It will, unless there is something that we cannot expect will happen in the next couple of races, because that's really the reason why we've changed the regulation uh, as a system. And that's the reason why I do believe that despite the controversy of the last race in Abu Dhabi, you know, this is what we should aim to have every year, to arrive at the last race of the season with a great sporting fight that will enable more than two drivers to fight for the win at the last lap of the last race. Okay, Stefano, just to end it all, just a, a quick one. Do you actually have downtime when you come to Singapore for the race? Or is it just hotel, track, track, hotel? And, and if you do have a bit of time on your schedule, you know, over, over the years, is there something that you look forward to in Singapore to, to do or to eat? Well, unfortunately, you touch a very sensitive point. I mean, I just arrived from another meeting abroad and I will go to the track, finish the track. I've got some meetings and uh, unfortunately, after the race, I have to go because we have uh, Japan uh, next Sunday. So I really hope that I will have the time to spend with my friends in Singapore, maybe in a couple of years, I don't know uh, when, to enjoy 
the beauty of the city and, and enjoy the beauty of the people of Singapore that uh, I know they are very special. All right, Stefano, we thank you so much again for taking the time to speak to us. We wish you and Formula One all the best for the season ahead and, and beyond. And we look forward to another spectacular Singapore Grand Prix. Thank you very much. Thank you to you all. Eh? Bye-bye. Ciao. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.